Come on in, sit down, grab a beer, and get comfy for yet another Beer Napkins podcast. We hope you'll find the next 30 minutes or so enjoyable, educational, and inspirational. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check our web, our site at beerandnapkins.com, all one word, and use the word and, and not the symbol. And you can also find us on Twitter at Beer and Napkins, again, all one word. Beer and Napkins helps generate new ideas and new initiatives by leveraging informal third spaces, community-enabled design, and visual thinking. Now off we go. A big round of applause for our hosts. Good evening. Uh, this is Phil McWright with Beer and Napkins. Uh, we're going to have a great podcast, uh, podcast number three, I think it is. Um, we have uh, Pamela Wood Brown from Women Who Code out of Greenville, South Carolina as our host this evening. So welcome, Pam. Um, I know that Paul usually is the host this evening, but uh, it's great to have you. So uh, what's going on in your world, Pam? Uh, It's great to be here, Phil. Um, Well, in the Women Who Code world, we're celebrating our third anniversary next month. Um, Excellent. We launched on Ada Lovelace Day. And um, we've got a bunch of uh, activities uh, planned for our anniversary month, and we're celebrating that we've grown to over 400 That's members. That's fabulous. Wow. And we now have a leadership team of four directors, so it's, uh, and it's, it's an exciting time for us. That's great. And I appreciate you being part of your napkins organization for a long time. You've been part of the board for probably six or seven years now, so it's been, it's been a, a, a time gets, flies by, right? So, um, I wanted, before we start, uh, I wanted to get a good cheers here, yeah. so, so we can clank into this mic here. Join so some guys. great Quest beer. Yeah, Quest, uh, we're at, yeah, great, thanks for bringing that point up, Pam. <laughs> we always got to express our, our appreciation to our host here, so we're at Quest Brewing in um, Greenville, South Carolina. They have a, a lot of boutique craft beers. It's, it's a fabulous place. Great atmosphere. And we have a backdrop to all these um, all these brewing areas here. In the, science. Yeah, science, science. So, um, well, so Magna, Magna Telepragna. So That's the, great. The yeah. Great. So yeah. she's here tonight. We'll hear more about her life and, and her, her um, story. Great. Um, so... Um, Thanks for coming out. Yeah, Megan. thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm it's really just, excited. It's, it's, again, uh, we haven't done a beer napkins in quite some time. The past um, a speaker that we had was also from Clemson, and, and uh, you're a Clemson professor. So um, we're just kind of keeping the theme of Clemson. So uh, we're a good group to have. They're, on. they're a good group. Yeah, I'm not we're a being, good group to have on. <laughs> I'm, I'm not being discriminatory. We'll have some USC. Actually, I'm a. Uh, 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 adjunct professor for USC Upstate. So uh-huh. even though oh you didn't say that uh, well, before. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> that sorry. changes everything. That changes everything. Whole conversation. I got my master's at Clemson. So <laughs> okay, so, so there's a little bit of yeah. Clemson so, so we're, we're we're still we're still in the fold. My wife's a Clemson graduate as well. So we, nice. we won't push that too far this evening. <laughs> but we want to hear hear about these things. But. Uh, uh, beer napkins is just for the folks who's kind of just now coming into um, listening to us. We're about we celebrate the informality of ideas, and as I was just sharing with the, with our podcast group here, beer napkins is 
really the me metaphor is the beer is informality and the napkin is visual thinking. So um, we, we celebrate that and our, our goal is to brew ideas across the nation, the world just informal and really, really stress that because we feel that face-to-face, -face, put your phone down and face-to-face -face is what, where it's at and really communicating, right? So that's a good segue into our guest this evening and I just want to kind of share um, Magnus um, little bio here, uh, very prolific, so I, <laughs> I, I'm, we are very appreciative that you, you came and joined us tonight. So you. Um, you were born and raised in Hyderabad, India, mm -hmm. is that right? Um, you received your bachelor's degree in elect electrical and electronics engineering, so uh, way beyond my capacity <laughs> for, 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 for thinking. So I hope you'll enlighten me in some of the science tonight. Uh, moved to North Carolina State for master's degree in engineering. Uh, then you found science communication there, right? Right. And uh, it was uh, it totally changed your life. You received a master's in communication, started shifting your focus yeah. there, and then you went on to get your PhD in communication from Cornell. You really <laughs> loved it, right? Yeah, so, I loved it. Uh, <laughs> I so, still love it. <laughs> I hear you. Um, I was. You were also a science communication postdoc in the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania yes. before moving to Clemson University. So that's where you started. So um, just want to kind of open it up. Is there anything else would you like to share in your background? Any particular story that kind of comes to mind? Um, uh, I guess one of the things that often comes up when people listen to my background, I was telling Pam this earlier too, where um, people always look at it and say, oh my god, you went from engineering to communication. Like, that's quite a switch. And for me, I don't see it as quite a switch. For me, they're just so integral. Like Science and technology, anything related to STEM and communication should go hand in hand. And it's kind of interesting that people see them as very disparate, yeah. very separate, and very, you know, aloof kind of field. Sure, sure. And um, so, yeah, hopefully that will change eventually. With conversations like these, right? <laughs> gotcha. So, so what um, your 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 career path? What 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 made you decide engineering, and, and what, what was your your thoughts as right. you progressed along? Um, like any kid, I guess I started off thinking I wanted to be different things. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> um, I wanted to be so many different things. I wanted to be a police officer. Um, but one of the things that sort of um, stayed with me was. You know, if something broke down in the house, my dad and I would love fixing it. Um, and I'll still never forget the story where, you know, my dad and I were trying to like fix a fan and um, because it was broken, we're like, go try to fix it. And I'll never forget my mom basically telling us, uh, she pointed out how we did all the, you know, my dad and I are the only people who had the engineering degree. My mom's a high school graduate. but. After we finished fixing it, we're like, it's still not working. And I was like, did you guys connect it to the switch? And you're like, oh wow, you really, like that was like the first instance of loving engineering, but also pointing out that you don't need degrees to be smart. And there are a lot of stupid people with degrees. And a lot of people with, you know, no degrees are really smart. Um, but I really enjoyed the process of, you know, fixing things. And my dad's an electrical engineer, so it just made, you know, almost like sense. Like he would, how people, he would interview, he worked for Siemens for a long time before retiring and mm -hmm. when he was working for Siemens, um, 
he would do interviews with people and I, he'd be so frustrated with some of the people not understanding some of the basic fundamentals of electrical engineering and he'd come back and test that on me to be, to be like, are you, are you sure you're getting the right education? Do you know the basics of engineering? Um, it was great. Um, and when I got into, when I was applying for master's programs, um, I really love school. So there's, you know, it's just made sense that I would go on to, you know, do more school. Um, and I remember, you know, when I got my admissions, I got North Carolina State and University of Southern California. And I knew it meant a lot to my dad if I went to North Carolina State because he got into North Carolina State in the 70s, right? Wolfpack, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's like, a, it's like a minority over here to say that. <laughs> um, but he couldn't afford to go. Um, so I, you know, like he was very nice. He was like, "You can go anywhere you want." I was like, "No, but I know how much it means to you." Uh, and it both good schools. So um, went to North Carolina State, and it wasn't until uh, and I was, you know, I was taking classes and everything. But one of the things that I really have always had was just passion, and um, and I realized that. During you know while my time during my time at North Carolina State, um, that one of the things that was missing was something was missing. Like as I was going through my engineering classes, and it just felt like something's missing. Um, and I actually went to the career counseling center there to basically say, hey, um, I feel like something's missing, and I'm really struggling because I want I don't want to wake up ten years from now and hate going into work. I want to figure this out now. And she basically helped me figure out um, that communication is something that I should try. And I found public communication of science and technology, and I was just like, oh my god, this is awesome. Where have you been all my life? You wow, know, like wow. my, you know, your you you, like you love. You fell in love <laughs> with it, right? I fell in love with yeah. it. And, um, and then I did a few internships while I was in communication, and um, I realized that I really love research. And mm. it's it's just I I love it. There's no other way to tell <laughs> explain it. And um, and then so I, I knew I wanted to get a PhD. And then when I was at Cornell and I started teaching, I just realized I am I just love the you're, classroom. You're made for that. I'm just, made for yeah. that. And I just it's the best job in the world according to me at least mm. for me. And it's it's awesome. So that's how you got into academia. You just mm -hmm. kind of um, kind of kept that. Yeah strain of thinking and yeah. just I love it. it yeah that's wonderful yeah wonderful. I mean wonderful. imagine like you do some research and you're like for a moment you're like this is new information you're like creating knowledge it's how did your, awesome how did your how did your dad perceive you moving into academia from the engineering oh was yeah that a conversation or? oh yeah it was many conversations <laughs> but the one thing that both my parents always told me was they want me to be happy and yeah. they're like you I mean life is too short to drink crappy beer and to live and work in <laughs> work in things that you don't really right. uh, enjoy so but you never forgot about the science portion. oh no I mean I love it I mean one of the things that still bothers me and I think that's why communication made so much sense to me is um, I really really struggle um, and feel pain <laughs> when someone says that they're not smart enough to do stem um, and I, I really, it like really bothers me. Mm -hmm. It should be more like, you know, oh, I can do all these things, um, but you know, I want to be an economist. That's different from saying I'm not smart enough 
to be a scientist or an engineer or a mathematician. Um, that's different, and I want to change that. Gotcha. <laughs> Did you, have you uh, met students who have had that struggle, and have you had some deep conversations with any students that, that yeah. were on that cusp of saying, well, I'm, I'm not cut out for that? Have right. you had those kind of yeah. conversations? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I think I've seen that more in the U.S. than I have in India. Um, what do you think that's and, the case? This is complete anecdotal. I don't have research evidence for this, but I think when you grow up in a developing country, um, science and STEM is sort of looked at jobs that will give you security mm -hmm. in terms of you know economic security and you know just job security. Mm -hmm. And so STEM in India is just definitely something that it's not even like an option in some ways. It's almost like you have to do it, and so people just figure out a way to do mm -hmm. it. And I think. We also, you know, going back to what Pam and I were talking about, stereotypes, like role models, right? Um, we've seen a lot. Like my dad was an engineer. It helped me because having an engineer in the family who would tell me that, oh, you know, you could be an engineer. Nobody should tell you otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many engineers and doctors and, you know, STEM is something that's, I'm not saying everybody's good at it mm -hmm. in India, but there's definitely a push of like, you should you should definitely consider this. At least get right. through good scores with STEM, and then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, but with with here, I think it's it's very interesting in terms of the culture around you know who you see as a scientist. Like even in media representations, right? We mm -hmm. see you know it's typically you know no offense to all white men, but like it's like a Bill Nye kind it, of thing. yeah Bill Nye and. Yeah. Um, I mean, now we see these Neil deGrasse Tyson. We see, like, mm -hmm. in movies, too, where we're seeing a change in terms of, you know, who is a scientist? Um, like, are there women? You know, and, you know, are they, you know, can they still look normal and fine and, <laughs> you know, still have a job in STEM? And mm -hmm. it's not, like, something that stands out that's right. normal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, that's... Uh, yeah, that's a, it's kind of interesting to kind of see the transition in the culture yeah. um, from, from India to the United States. I think we get a little bit um, complacent here mm. with, with the, the, the plenty of options and other things that we, we don't strive for those higher right. things. And right. I, think, I think it kind of, uh, it kind of mutes that, um, what would you say, uh, kind of an uh, uh, incentive to pursue something at home. Right. And, and, and the one thing that I will say is that I, I always feel, my students, I'll never forget one of my students when I was teaching a grad, when I was teaching undergraduate students at Cornell, um, some of them said, Manga, you just love to, you love science too much. <laughs> in, in the sense that you think everybody should be a scientist or an engineer. I'm like, no, the world needs musicians. The world needs psychologists. The world needs communication scholars. The world needs coders and engineers. The world needs entrepreneurs. Um, but at the same time, nobody should feel like they can't understand science. Right, or right. that they can't participate in it. I really like this quote you said. No one should ever allow anyone to put it Put them in a box. Yes. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't even let you put you in your box. Yes. I'll, I'll consider myself a success if I never allow it to happen, yes. and if I help others do the same. I love that. Can you talk a little bit? <laughs> it, it it just it goes back to the the same thing of you know I, I it really bothers me when someone's already given up. I mean sometimes I hear students they're like you know teenagers 
already saying that, oh, I can't do something. Um, not because they don't, not because of interest, but more because of ability, mm -hmm. thinking that they're not smart enough or thinking that they just cannot do it. Mm -hmm. um, I like warrior mode. I hate victim mode. And it's, it's, I like that. It's, it's, warrior it's, mode. Yeah. And when you put yourself in a box, you tend to sort of be more in a victim mode where you're mm -hmm. like, you constrain yourself. And sometimes, sometimes your mind does that to you, tells you all these stories that, you know, that you are built to only do certain things. Um, and I really want, you know, students, even adults, to challenge that. Like, don't listen. Not That's everything right. your mind says is brilliant. Sometimes your mind can trick you and, you know, says things that are wrong. And you mm -hmm. need to challenge that. And you need to just step out of that. I mean, I remember when I was moving from engineering to communication, a lot of my um, friends at the time said I was making the biggest mistake of my life that I'm going into a field that I don't know anything about, which was true. Like, I didn't know anything theoretically about that field, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, you find a way. <laughs> and and I just didn't like even my friends telling me to put myself in a box. <laughs> no, you can't do that. We don't do that. It's like, no, just do it. Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome combination, science and communication. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so important to, um, I mean, you can't really separate it. I guess we have a tendency to separate things and mm -hmm. com compartmentalize them, and maybe in our culture more than other places. And um, mm -hmm. But it's it's so integral to, you know, to be able to, I mean, if you can't see the possibilities, you, you, you can't, you know, we tell the story, uh, right. and then, you know, you're limiting yourself. Right. Absolutely. Can I ask a question? Absolutely. I, absolutely. <laughs> this is like not sure. Now you're the passing it. Yeah. <laughs> I like this. Yeah. I'm just gonna sit back and enjoy your beer. No, I'm kidding. But I was really curious about you know you are really in the field like doing like you know interacting with women in coding right like is there do you ever find people who actually put themselves in a box like saying that they can't code and moving past that? I'm like taking them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have the awesome experience of developing the uh, coding education program in partnership with the public library system, which had already been tackling digital literacy in general. And I was reaching out to the you know patrons of the library and you know encountering people who were really you know just not even being able to yet imagine what the, you know, a career, it seemed like foreign to them. So, I mean, it really, it really um, was, and we were trying to make it as accessible as possible to pursue programming skills, but it, it, I mean, how you perceive, perceive it is just makes, has such a huge impact on whether or not you allow yourself to pursue something. Right. And I see it all the time with women too, in general, who are not exposed to the tech. And, and tech is is so integral to our mm -hmm. lives, more and more integral. It's not we have a tendency to see it as something over there, right. away from us. And mm -hmm. same thing with I mean, science really. Yeah. I mean, it's it's about learning about life. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So what would you um, what would you advise a young woman who is wanting to pursue? What would you, or your younger self, what would you, <laughs> how, how would you? 
I'd say to be patient because things that you love are not always easy and that there will be challenges and that's what makes life interesting and so if you ever feel like you're not getting something or you know that you're fit let's say you fail an exam and you still want to do something in STEM to basically look at it as an opportunity to be like wow I'm gonna prove you wrong <laughs> right and take that up and sort of just you know learn more uh, find resources and I think that's the thing where I think you know if you're not able to do it ask for help and you know use the community <laughs> to help yourself and totally. yeah, yeah. No, it's not about like you're not adequate no. it's just that you need to find the way or right. put in the effort right and yeah that's encouraging I think it is it, uh, I hear so much about depression on campus yes and um, the, the, the motivation that right. people can do and move out of that and right. have you have a community yeah. to work around yes and you can fail several times mm -hmm. and that should still ideally right like that should still not affect your self-esteem or like your goal and be like I'm gonna work towards it mm. um, and as you said you know that community and having that support and just you know is so important um, and if you don't have that community people are putting you down then it's time to change that community <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing the background yeah. and kind of like your perspective of <laughs> life and, and, and I really I really dig that about putting it in a box I mean I really Thank really you. It really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. So moving on to your passion for <laughs> science and communication. Right. Where, where are you now with that? What, what, tell me a little bit about um, what your, 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 your vision mm -hmm. and what are some of the things you've been working on to right. really bridge those, those perceptions and those gaps and right. really try to bring science to to all of this, right? Right, yeah. Um, I guess if I have to take all of my projects and give it a tagline in terms of research, it would be bringing science closer to people mm. and um, and what it, what that even looks like. Um, I, st I still don't have an answer to that in terms mm -hmm. of what that even means to people and what that actually looks, but that's like the goal mm -hmm. I have. Um, and some of the work that I've been doing, I'd say it's almost like three paths or three prongs people like things in threes, right? Yeah, so three prongs, so three, three things. And one of the things as we've talked about, so I don't need to go into too, too much detail, is actually looking at STEM education and looking at how do we make it more inclusive. Um, not just diverse, but actually inclusive. How do we make sure that we have, um, you know, all types of minorities, <laughs> you know, involved in it. And stepping out, you know, my collaborators and I have been talking about this where we cannot, we don't have, we cannot design one model and expect that to work for every minority because every might we sort of have clubbed them all together under this umbrella term of minorities. And um, I've been learning lately from my fellow researchers to not do that <laughs> and say, you know, you need to design, you know, there's a model that needs to be done for women, a model that needs to be done for black or African American and a model that needs to be done for Hispanics or you know Native Americans like it's just we need to figure out because everybody has a different relationship to science and so how then can we expect one model to solve that so I'm 
I'm really driven now working with um, Bruce Hardy of Temple University and then Harrison Pinckney at Clemson, um, just in trying in figuring out you know ways to actually bridge that and what do those separate models look like. Um, so that's one prong. Um, the second prong is looking at um, public perceptions, and I think that's like a big prong <laughs> for me uh, in terms we of... We all come with our biases. Right? We all come with our biases, and, and how do you ensure that people are making decisions about science or technology and policy issues around that not from a filter of your ideology or your political ideology or any of, you know, religion or any of these other, you know, filters um, that might be keeping you from actually taking in that information for what it is. Because I'm more interested in making sure that people are getting the right information and then making an informed decision, less so much about thinking that people have to make exactly this decision. Um, that depends on the type of science, like climate science. Like I want, like you know, it's it's happening. Um, we need to get people on board to doing these certain kinds of actions to ensure that our Earth survives. That you know that we're doing something actively about it. That's a position. So yes, um, but there are also you know different issues in terms of you know GMOs or you know how you know how are people it, it, you know you get so much fake decisions. news. I know you're working on some. Um, research on a lot of this fake news coming yeah, yeah. and stuff. There's so many skewed right. communication. Mm-hmm. How, how do you right. how do you yeah. put up a, a logical filters right. and, and, and give folks and making sure tools right. yeah. to perceive right. where is the falsehood? How, how do you do right. that? Um, so one of the things with um, I mean I, I'm trying to think so there in terms of science communication, one of the things that's there is where right now we have a lot of tactics in terms of how to do it, and it's we need a theory. Um, mm. So, for example, this is not my research, but some of the other research that's going on, and I'll get to my research in a bit, but some of the research that's going on, which I thought one of the things was really cool, is um, let's say you're both here and you're gonna, you know, you're, you're participants in my study, and, uh, and I tell you, here's some information it's going to be a quiz in the end. I'm going to quiz you on the information, uh, so read carefully. And for some other people, I'm not going to say that. Let's say I'm telling you, Phil, that there will be an exam. I'm not going to tell you, Pam. Uh, and what they found was that people who are informed that there's going to be an exam are more, are less likely to read it through a lens of any bias, right? That you're more interested and invested in making sure that you score very well on the exam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're motivated. It's pretty definitive. Yeah, that, and kind of like driven to take in that information without thinking, you know, am I a Republican? Am I, you know, a Democrat? Or, you know, where am I? You know, am I liberal? Or any of that stuff. And whereas you, because I don't have that, you know, Pam, you're going to probably think that, you know, oh, you might be more prone to let your filters and biases affect. Right. So that's interesting, right? That's mm-hmm. like an interesting tactic. Um, but we want to find out more in terms of theoretically, what is that reason? Uh, and we're still stuck in like a lot of tactics and we need a good theory and that's what we're all struggling to find out. Um, another thing that my research um, that we're getting ready to test is seeing if I give people one of the things, um, we ask people to form perceptions without even asking them if they know anything about it. Um, 
And doesn't necessarily mean by giving people information that they're going to change their mind. But before you ask an opinion, like, do you have any baseline, you know, thought on what this is? So if, you know, there's so many studies asking GMOs, how do you feel? Approve, disapprove, and you're like, but do you know what it is? Um, and how do you feel about it? Um, and so some people have some serious, like, you know, strong moral concerns around it, and that's, you know, that's, you know, a position that we can address and engage with. Um, but a lot of people are in the middle with GMOs, uh, where they don't know how they feel. Um, well, see, I, I don't know how I feel because I think science and a pro progression is important. Right. What, you know, and I hear that some GMOs it helped mm -hmm. you know, combat disease right, and right, feed the, you know, the right, world, right? right? So here's my problem. Right, and yeah. <laughs> so here's my problem in, mm -hmm. in, in, in the whole debate. I hear one side and I never hear from who is the, who is the, um, the pro GMO, G, G, GMO, what was some the of the, pro GMO? Uh, the, the GMO companies. It's, oh, uh, like Monsanto, Monsanto, which is now bought over by Bottom, Bear. Bear. Yeah. So I hear one side and I'm like, yeah, yeah, organic, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Heirloom, you know air, yeah. organic. Yeah. I never hear right. from um, Monsanto. I never right. heard somebody yeah. speak and advocate. On that side, do they are purposely right. quiet about their right. research, or right. what? What what happened so, with that? So let me give you. Let me test something here. Okay. So um, so a few years ago, uh, Mark Linus, who was a very anti-GMO activist, mm -hmm. um, publicly came out and said, "I was wrong. I was wrong to diss GMOs." Um, I realized that I was advocating for this position without really looking at the science. And now that I've read things, I want to publicly acknowledge that I was wrong. Um, if I said that, like, and I'm saying this to you mm -hmm. right now, I don't know why I said if I said that, I just said that, um, how, do you, how do you feel then about the issue? So a person who was advocating against, against comes out and says that it makes my doubt that. that much more about right. it, right? So it just adds more credence to, right. hey, we, we need to really think about this in a right. deeper level. Right, right. right. Uh, my feeling is that, you know, I, I, I think science progresses, we're learning things, right. but there's some unknown factors there right. that we may not know about, right? right? right. But we can't just discount it. Right. But, but my problem is that I never heard the, the other side. Okay, so here's another one for you. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, this is exciting. So. Here's another thing for you. So if I asked you, um, so you just said you're like somewhere, like, you know. I heard like, all the anti. You heard all the anti, anti. You've not heard a lot of her. So what if I asked you, um, how do you feel about, so there was papaya that was becoming extinct in Hawaii. Mm. And um, they basically, the only time that everybody in Hawaii said, oh, we're okay with GMOs are when they actually use GM to save the papaya from becoming extinct. Wow and what that wow. means for Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I never heard that story. No, I haven't yeah. heard that either. <laughs> and when you hear that story, like you can immediately feel a little bit of a shift, right? Wow. In terms of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Or if I said, sorry, <laughs> or if I said, what if, uh, what if we use GM to develop beef with low cholesterol? Or using GM to develop trees that will help clean out contaminated water? Mm -hmm. So it's this thing, like what I'm getting at is 
I think if you give people enough context and put it in words that actually explains to them what the technology is doing, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we could still have people who are like, that's an awful idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's coming from a place of exactly knowing GM, not this abstract concept, but mm-hmm. GM right. in a specific case and then uh, making this decision knowing that this is the outcome. And you could fall anywhere. Right. And I think that's what, that's what I want mm-hmm. is to make sure that when people are making these decisions, mm-hmm. um, that they're informed and they're not driven by, oh, am I you know, liberal, am I conservative? Like, where am I on this? Not thinking of that first, mm-hmm. but actually looking at what mm-hmm. the science or technology is. You make a great point that there's, there's filters and, mm-hmm. and you told like several stories. <laughs> you give examples and some, some, some things that say, oh, wow, you kind of like, wow, mm-hmm. I, I, I that could we could never have a bias again, right? So stories, the power of right. the narrative mm-hmm. to bypass some of those filters, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that is yeah. that usually the the message, the mm-hmm. person who's conveying it, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes if it's someone from your group and someone, you know, let's say we're all we're all we're all we're all good friends now, and you know we're all part of a group, mm-hmm. and let's say you tell me something about GMOs mm-hmm. that, and that's completely different from you know what we believe in mm-hmm. we're at least willing to listen to you because you're part of a group right so who says it mm-hmm. how do you say it there's just mm-hmm. so much into yeah that. yeah I think that you know we, we live in such a polarized yeah. filters that we're so strongly in our little pathway right. yeah. and I, I, I I've never seen anything like this in my life that how we are so polarized. What is your theory of how we, we become so close-minded to an open dialogue, an open perspective? How did we come to this point? Um, a lot of the research, it's funny, I, I stand on the shoulders of these giants who've done so much research in science communication. And one of the things that keeps coming back, two concepts, and they're very connected, and one of the things is this idea of identity protection. Mm-hmm. Um, we define ourselves as certain kinds of human beings, right? Like if I asked you, who are you, Phil, or who are you, Pam? Um, you're going to define yourself in different things. And one of the things that's you know, part of that is religion, let's say, or political ideology, you know, morality, all these things. And Science and technology exists in society. <laughs> it's hard to put it as say that it's completely out of, you know, it's not gonna, I mean, science, all the science policies, there's politics involved in it, right? What gets regulated, what gets into the market, what's not. And so it's very hard to sort of say that we need to put them in separate boxes. We need to acknowledge that they are connected. Um, and then we need to figure out a way to prime the identities that work best to make sure that they're consuming the information. So the worst thing you can do when talking about science and technology is bring in politics. Um, and it's hard these days. Um, and so that's the struggle that we're having right now in terms of how do we prime these identities that are not about politics when you're thinking about STEM. Uh, and that's a struggle. Um, and Especially when some of the identities like the definition of include being anti-science. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Right. And that's, <laughs> and that's problematic. Like, mm-hmm. I think we're coming into 
a place where we're saying, oh, I'm, you know, if I'm doing science and supporting science, then you know where I stand on the political spectrum, and that's wrong. <laughs> right. Um, and there's research that actually tested this, and I, I really enjoyed this work too. It comes from Ohio State um, people, and they basically said how, they showed how it's not about the two theories when it comes to this. There's a Chris Mooney theory that's basically about how it's just the conservative mind that works differently, and it's less trustful of science. Um, and I'm less excited about that. Um, I'm more interested, I, I actually do believe in this other thing that it's contextual. Um, if you're, like, you, if you're liberal, you're against vaccines. Like, how are you, is that not anti-science? Um, and thinking about, you know, the vaccine and autism, you know, connection, how is that not anti-science? Like, just because you support climate change, you're pro-science? <laughs> Or, you know, for conservatives, they're like, you know, equally other issues. So it's like, I think it's context. It primes these different things about who you are. And then people form opinions and then seek information. Like that's, that's how we are. Just that. We are motivated. We find information after we form opinions. Confirmation bias? Is yes, yes. It's exactly right. Yeah. Good job. High <laughs> five. <laughs> <laughs> I have it's, read a little bit. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. Where we yeah. are motivated to confirm our beliefs and then go find information as well. Right. That we should we, we should look that. and kind of disprove our mm -hmm. it kind of look into a flip side, right? Just kind of like look on the other side. Look at our our, our counterparts. Right. Yeah. Right. And so there's a lot in there and there's still a lot to be done and that's what I that's why I'm still here doing it. Um, and the third prong and the final prong, going back to my research, is, um, and I've been working more um, closely with other professors at Clemson to do this too, is um, getting scientists and engineers and preparing our future scientists and engineers too to start talking to people. Um, not talking down at people, but actually talking to people, having conversations with people. Um, and actually understanding that what you do in a lab is part of knowledge um, and what people are living adds to that knowledge. So, so get out of the academic bubble into the streets? Yeah, into, into the, the pubs. Streets, into the pubs. Get some beer and have some conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, we need more of that. And excellent, excellent. So, yeah. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Fascinating research. <laughs> Sounds like you got your work cut out for you. Oh, yes. You, I think you'll be busy for a number of years on this. I love that. I think I'm going to die with my work, and I love that. <laughs> so tell us a little about the research. You just released a uh, individual like research uh, oh, yeah. paper on that. Can, can you tell us? Oh a little yes. About that? Um, is, this is about the. I'm sort of calling for a new research agenda. Um, so this is more about how, and it connects to what we've been talking about a little bit in terms of. You know, now that we have scientists and science advocates, let's call them, um, who are coming together to um, work towards science, right? The, we had the March for Science, we had all these social movements that are coming about where, you know, speaking of getting scientists excited and, you know, worked out, <laughs> that they're doing this. Um, and my interest would be in, you know, getting to figure out how are people collaborating and how are they actually teaching and learning to mobilize people because mobilization is basically teaching and learning 
right? Like it's it's activism and instruction goes so hand in hand. Um, and I'm curious about all these different questions that we have. And one of the questions that I have is, you know, we always think scientists know a little bit more than we do. And but when it comes to activism, um, you might not know how to get people excited and mobilized <laughs> that activists have known for so long. Right. So then how do we bring these different people together? And how, how are they learning from each other? And how are, you know, who's teaching them what? And how are they developing this collective memory of, you know, to get people excited and care about science, uh, whether it's people or politicians? And how do you do that without losing your credibility as a scientist? Because you think scientists are have to be objective and cannot have any biases, but they're people too, they're not robots, so of course they're going to have, wow, you know, things, so ramifications for like credibility and things like that. So the paper right. basically is talking about all these different research ideas that we should be doing, mm -hmm. um, that we can be doing, and that we cannot, can no longer think that, oh, it's only science communication scholars who are going to do it, or instruction or social movement scholars, we need to all come together kind of as a, a community, as a community right. to, to actually start addressing some of these questions. Wow, that's, that's so fascinating. I'm looking forward to reading more about that and, and nice. that whole uh, field that, that you're in. I mean, it's just fascinating. I've always, to me, I love science mm -hmm. and I feel that I, I desire more. Mm -hmm. I desire more to understand about yeah. science, which I don't understand. And I don't know where to go. Yeah. So as lay, lay people, mm -hmm. what are some things that we can do and take away uh, from your research and your understanding of science and the general public? What, what right. can we do to further this, right. this perspective? Yeah. Um, I think I'll start with going back to like, your work, Pam, in terms of bringing in um, girls and women to actually have role models that you can see who are doing awesome things in STEM and, yeah. and who've had different life stories, right? And there's no scientist who has the same story. And it's like helping everybody see, like, you know, people who are not usually represented in STEM to actually see that they can do it. Um, in terms of information, or if you're a scientist, right, get out and grab a beer and talk to people and not and actually be open to having a dialogue and not just have education as your goal and actually engaging with people because you actually want to learn what they have to say because guess what you probably don't know everything and they probably don't know everything so really engaging in that dialogue um, and creating spaces I think having informal opportunities for adults, for children, for everybody to really come together and talk about this without it being, you know, a chore or like, mm. here's a seminar, come attend this seminar and talk about food. No, let's <laughs> like, you know, let's do, you know, let's have a cookout and have some farmers, have like co-ops, have, you know, scientists, have different people come together and actually have a conversation because Guess what? Like the changes that we have to aim for don't have to be major. It have, really can be as small as talking to a few people in your neighborhood and mm -hmm. seeing, you know, having that conversation about it. Like keeping science alive in your communities is just through conversation. Wow. 
I see a beer napkin series of like beers for science or something. Oh my god! <laughs> yes! Oh my god! Let's <laughs> cheers on that. We just cheers on that. We, we may need to come down to Clemson and one of their pubs down there and meet a, meet a scientist. Yes. Scientist and uh, mm-hmm. have some coffee or something. That would be. That awesome. would be great. Good idea. I like that. Pam. I like that. Oh, Boom. I love Pam. 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 Creating ideas. Yeah. I love that. Pam, Pam. Pam, you're, Pam, you're awesome. So, um, great. Thanks for sharing uh, your passion and your 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 ideas and where we need to go with some of yeah. these things. That's awesome. There's so new. It's so yeah. fresh, and I think you have a lot to offer our community here. And really, uh, really uh, sharing because I, I, I desire. I know, I know many other people want to know about science, yeah. but they just don't know where to go. Right. So, right. looking forward to your yes. efforts. Yes. Um, fun stuff. Okay. Right. Fun so, stuff. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's give some 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 fun stuff. I got a, I got a napkin here. You got your beer, so I get napkin. What's your, <laughs> What's your, what's your big idea? What's, what's your my, big idea? You my, write on that again. My big idea is how to make learning fun. Learning and, fun. Yeah, fun as in mental fireworks fun, not fun nice. as in mindless fun. Wow. That's my big idea. Nice. I like <laughs> it. Your favorite word? Life. Life. Nice. I love life. Nice. <laughs> it's emanating from you now. Yes, so. there. <laughs> um, <laughs> What turns you on creatively, spiritually, and emotionally? Uh, Passion. Um, Action. Warrior mode, like I said. And (laughs) I think anyone and any, anyone who's really not afraid to be themselves and stand up for what they believe in. That's what turns me on. Nice. Warrior mode. That's gonna re- that's gonna it's just in my psyche. Yeah. That's a great example for our women in code too. Yes. Warrior mode. Yes, warrior nice. mode. No victim mode. <laughs> what turns you off? Uh, victim mode. <laughs> <laughs> victim mode. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. You can start off there, that's and, awesome. but you need to move away from that. And I also, what turns me off is. Um, people who mindlessly follow norms um, at the expense of who they are. So. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? You know, <laughs> it's changed. <laughs> so when I was in India, it was bloody hell, and nobody really see like you know when I told my you know when I told my students bloody hell they're like that's not even a curse word. I was like really it's not like oh my god. Um, so we're saying I mean, in England, right? What? It's, it's the English right? Yes, yes, I think so. Yeah. It's it's just bloody hell. Um, <laughs> and it's evolved though more recently. It's just, can I say it? Like, it's, just, like, it's, yeah. it's fuck. I mean, it's a very versatile, <laughs> you know, it's a fuck not, yes or a fuck no. It's yeah, just, we're not believing that out. It's, so. it's, it's, Excellent. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Um, voices of the people I love. Nice. What about hate? What sounds or noise? This is very specific. (laughs) So, you know how when you can have arguments with people and 
you both end not because you've reached closure, but you're just like, I'm done with you. And then there's that silence that's just so loaded, even though you're not done. I hate that. I hate the sound of that loaded silence, just, just sitting in the room. Um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to what I'm saying right now. I hate that. I hate that. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? And you're like the multifaceted. I, we didn't even get into the whole multi-dimensional. You're a kickboxer. You're all this, I mean, I mean, I know you're on your own, but what other things would you like to? Um, I love. Um, oh my god, do I have to pick one? Can I be like a few things? Yeah, it's your show. Uh, I'm multidimensional, so I have yeah. like multiple careers yeah. that I would want to be. Uh, I'd want to be a beach body trainer. Do you know what uh, beach body workouts are? Wait, I, I, I know. I, I, I've kind of missed that nuance. Uh, so beach body <laughs> is this, you know, they, they have all these workout programs like Insanity and, you know, P90X and all this okay. stuff. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. those workouts. So I might want to be that trainer slash professional dancer <laughs> slash professional bladesmith. So bladesmith. I was really hoping you were going to say American Ninja Warrior. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh wow, that's, I can see that's a lot. We're we, we gonna, gonna see you on Ninja Warrior or that Blade show. That they, they, you know, oh, show. Force and Fire. Force that's and what fire. I want to be on. Okay, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. that's I've happening. I've actually seen that. That's happening. Times. That's happening. That's a that's a science behind. That's that. happening. Yeah. that's happening. You should do it. You should do it. Magna, it's so 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 great that you should, thank um, you. joined us this evening and had a beer with us. And oh. Pam, thank you for for coming and helping me host this show tonight. Thank and you. Uh, I, I I can see some communication in the future. Yeah. So um, no appreciate what you're doing yes. for the community in terms of science, and uh, wish you well in the future. Thank you so much for having me. This yeah, was great. This is I loved it. It's fine. Great. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Was awesome. All thank right. you. <laughs> All right. Have a good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for your time today. If you'd like to be a part of the podcast, check our website at beerandnapkins.com, all one word, for our schedule. We always record live in a pub and love to have you in the audience. Until our next podcast, here's to new ideas, new friends, and the pubs that enable greatness. Thank you so much for listening.